0: I wonder if you can think of a time in your life, as Melissa perhaps has shared just a bit ago, when things seemed hopelessly dark and desperate even. Perhaps you're going through such a time even now. We're not promised, as the old song goes, a rose garden in our journey through life. But we are promised God's presence through those times and the assurance of a final hope and joyous destiny if, big if, we are God's people. God's word came by the prophet Isaiah to the people of God some 27 centuries ago as they faced desolation and shattered hopes. God, to them, announced that he would send them a child. A child. Yes, but no ordinary child. The text from the prophet Isaiah speaks to us of need, of cure, and of the way. And it teaches us that the child of prophecy is God with us, Emmanuel, come to save us from sin and despair and to give us hope and new life in him. So let's consider our text this morning in terms of need, of cure, and of the way. First, with respect to Our need, God's anointed deliverer, comes amidst his people's deepest hopelessness. Verse 1, the word is humbled. The people of God have been lowered to the dust by God in his discipline. Verse 2 speaks to us of darkness. What kind of darkness? The shadow of death. Oh, picture of a hopelessness. Yes, there's the glimmer of the promise of light in Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. But without and apart from that presence, the valley of the shadow of death is dark. There is no hope. And it leads to despair. Verse 5 speaks to us of bloody warfare. It really refers to the day of Midian, and that's a reference to the victory of 300, no, not Spartans, 300 men with Gideon, armed with, not swords, but trumpets and lamps hidden in pitchers, who routed a huge army of the Midianites, read Arabs. They covered the land as the locusts, as a swarm, a horde, and with when when God had Gideon, you remember the story. Blow the trumpet, thirty thousand men flocked to him. They would still be outnumbered many times. And God said, "Too many." You remember? And so Gideon said, "Anyone who's afraid, go home." Two thirds of them left. <laughs> What an army that would have been with two-thirds of your soldiers ready to bolt at the first uh, clash. Now he has 10,000 who claim they're not afraid, and God says, too many. And he selects them. And a lot has been said about as they knelt down instead of lapping like dogs, they lifted it with their hands that that showed that they were really uh, aware ninja-type fighters, nonsense. Nonsense. It just was one way of indicating that they were a small minority and it was an easy way to see who was who. And God took those 300, not because they were the mighty of Israel, but because he chooses to use the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. And in the day of Midian, there was a great victory. God routed the Midianites. And Gideon's men hardly had to use the sword at all as in the day of Midian. Yes, the victory there. It speaks of bloody warfare, but where was that? It was along Galilee of the Gentiles and the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. Where is that? It's the place where Jesus would grow up later, seven centuries later, along the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. But at that time, God says there's going to be coming a darkness. Well, Isaiah lived to see that. He lived to see the armies of the Assyrian king Tiglath-Pileser III swarm through the way of the sea along the northern portion of the Sea of Galilee and engulf the tribal lands allotted to Zebulun and Naphtali. And not again, to the very time of Jesus when he walked those lands, not again would they be free of a foreign yoke. First Assyria, then Babylon, next Persia, then the Greeks, and finally, in the time of Jesus, the Roman heel, the iron scepter of Caesar, the land by the sea. Zebulun, Naphtali, they live in a great darkness indeed. Part of that land, the Decapolis, just northeast of the Sea of Galilee, would be an area of ten cities, mostly Gentile. What had happened to the light of the promise of God in the promised land? But you see, God has not forgotten uh, I would uh, remind those who perhaps have heard of it or read of it of our prisoners of war and what happened to them in the time of the Korean conflict. There were a number of American troops taken captive, and and as they were all bundled together, I mean uh, they they uh, weren't separated as later would happen in Vietnam, but but uh, in in the time of the Korean War, they were treated badly. But they had each other. But they fought in the POW caps. The prisoners fought over food, over blankets. And some simply despaired and curled up and died for lack of hope. Not helped by their fellow prisoner. Now that didn't happen universally, but it happened often enough. Later, there's another Korean con- another conflict in Southeast Asia and in the, the capital of North Vietnam, Hanoi. American prisoners of war were placed in terrible conditions, but even worse, they were isolated from one another, but they created a code and communicated. And you know what they did? With that code, any of them who knew even a verse from the Bible shared it through their code through the wall was never broken, simple code, never broken by the North Vietnamese. They shared that verse of scripture or that passage with everybody else. They compiled by memory the POW Bible. Oh, it wasn't complete, but you'd be surprised how many verses were in it. And they clung to the hope. Not just that their nation had not forgotten them, but more important, many of them came to Christ in the Hanoi Hilton because of the hope that God gives by his word to the hopeless. And the result was very different. Badly treated, they survived. They supported one another. And many of them clung to the promises of the POW Bible that God gives to those who trust him. So we as Christ Community Church here in Kennesaw are called to be a committed fellowship and a beacon amidst a disintegrating civilization and make no mistake, we are a civilization whose foundations are rapidly disintegrating. But our hope is grounded not in our constitution as much as we appreciate it and are grateful for it. Our hope, my friends, is grounded in the promises of God himself If Jesus tarries, America may one day go the way of the nations, but the kingdom of God will not. His church will not. His covenant people will not. He will be with us, for he promised us so. We've spoken of need briefly, but there is also here the cure. You see, God's anointed deliverer brings lasting justice and peace, both social and personal. Verse 2, upon them a great light has dawned. A great light. There's. uh, We'll speak more about what that great light constitutes in a moment. In verse 3, there's joy. That's not just quiet. Hmm, that's nice. No, this is a celebrative joy. Dance in the aisles, joy. Verse 7. Justice and righteousness forever. How? Verse 7. God takes an oath. Because that's what he's doing in these words. the zeal of Yahweh Sabaoth. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of armies, of hosts, the Lord Almighty. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will perform it. It's his covenant vow. He's going back to when the nation began, when he called a Gentile pagan named Abram out of a Chaldean city in what later became Lower Babylonia, or of the Chaldees, called him out. He said, leave your country, your people. Go to a land I'll show you. I'll make of you a great nation. Peoples will come from you. And he says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not because of Abram but because of one who will come through Abram's seed. In 2 Samuel 7, uh, verse 16, we read these uh, words. God speaking to David, the king who came descended from Abraham. God says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. What would it have looked like when the dynasty was eclipsed, extinguished, outward appearances, and the Babylonian captivity swept the people away? And even as they returned, they would struggle, and under the Maccabean era for a time would have a Hasmonean dynasty uh, run by their own people, it would fall into decay and into corruption and in turn be conquered again by Rome? What would it appear? appeared? Where would the promises seem to be? Ah, but God has not forgotten his promise. He never does. You see, what The land awaited is the return of the king. Oh, I know. The Lord of the Rings under J.R.R. Tolkien and the, the, the famous trilogy, which I love, both the movie, which strays a lot from the book, but still was entertaining. And it focused on the return of the king. Oh, listen. Listen to me. Tolkien was deeply influenced by a Christian worldview. It wasn't accurate in many places to the scriptures, but there was a fundamental Christian influence upon him as he wrote how much greater my friends and more worthy is our coming king the Lord Jesus Christ whose return alone will bring lasting peace and justice to our world and so in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 9 we read that the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea oh friends that's the cure The return of the king. What's the way? Need? Cure? Way? What is the way? God's anointed deliverer is none other than God himself, born a child as one with us. Mentioned a moment ago, verse 2, the reference to a great light. What's the great light? Was it a, as supernova, what's this great light? A bonfire, prairie fire, what's the great light? Uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 9, we read of the coming of Jesus and we're told the light that lights every man was coming into the world. And this Jesus, in John 8, verse 12, could say, I am the light of the world. If anyone believes in me, he shall have the light of life. You see, in, in our text, his name is called Wonderful. And sometimes we conjoin can, can that Wonderful Counselor. He's a special counselor. And scholars debate whether because the others are duels, this should be as well, to be parallel. And others say, no, it's separate. Listen. Whether it's separate or individual, it still means wonderful. And that word wonderful can be found in a number of places, but especially for me. I think of the angel of the Lord who appears to Manoah in the times of the judges. And and the people of Israel have been overrun by the Philistines, this newcomer uh, uh, a group that has... Uh, landed on the Gaza coast, built their five-city kingdom and has expanded out uh, to enslave the Israelites. And in the midst of that, God comes down, he sees his people's need, and he appears to Manoah's wife and then to Manoah with his wife. And we read about it, you see, um, in uh, Judges chapter 13. And just a couple of words from there, a couple of verses. In um, Judges 13 verse... 17 we read Noah, Manoah, rather, Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name? The next verse, he replied, Why do you ask my name? Seeing the King James says, Seeing it is wonderful. The NIV says, It is beyond understanding. Yeah, that gets a part of it. It's wonderful. It's a mystery. It's beyond any comprehension you can have. This angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnation appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as he was in, at the place uh, uh, at, uh, between the, uh, the mighty rocks. Uh, when, as we've been listening to Pastor Mike uh, speak to us from Exodus. And, um, and at that place beside the Red Sea. The... the uh, the presence of God symbolized by the pillar of fire and of cloud moves between the Israelites and their pursuers, the Egyptian army. And then we read that the angel of the Lord speaks to Moses. He's there. He's also on the mountain later on, Mount Sinai. And he speaks with uh, Moses pre-incarnation appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is wonderful. A wonderful counselor. A counselor is one who gives upright exhortation, among other things. He's almighty God. He's not limited by anything in his creation outside of himself. Note that he is always self-consistent. He is not the Allah of the Quran. He is the Yahweh of the Bible. He cannot deny himself. He cannot lie. He will not break his covenant vow to those upon whom he set his love and mercy in grace before the foundation of the earth in Jesus Christ. You can have a security, not in your faith in him, but in his love for you. We reach out in our faith, but it is not because of our faith. It is because of His love and His grace to us that will not be shaken, will not let us go, no matter where we are in our lives and in our experience. He's also named here, everlasting Father. And I struggled with that. I thought, how can the Son, which is being who is being referred to here, how can the Son be the everlasting Father? Doesn't that confuse the persons of the triune one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one in his being? Doesn't that muddle it? Now, as I have done further study in the language and, and look back and forth and cross-referenced, here's what I would share with you: that the term father means the, the progenitor or the one who brings into being. Who brought into being the world? John chapter 1 tells us, by him was everything made that was made. He created all things. He's in that sense, in the Hebrew sense, the father of that. Not the father in the Trinity, the father of the son here, but the father of creation and of those whom he would elect. And lead to a life everlasting with him. He is the father of everlastingness. In Hebrew you would translate it that way. He is the father of everlastingness. The very son of God. By whom creation is made. And who carries out the work of eternal salvation. For all his chosen ones. And notice finally he's prince of peace. Prince of Peace, who alone can ultimately reconcile sinful human beings with a holy God. And that's more than the mere absence of external conflict. Indeed, it's a wellness, a well-being of soul in relationship with God that ultimately will be expressed externally, but can be experienced even in the midst of tribulation. Jesus in the upper room would say to his disciples, Peace I give unto you, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then he says, In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Your destiny is secure. And the purpose I have in bringing you through your experiences is a good one. It will bring me honor as you respond rightly to my hand in your life. It will hone you to be the person I want you to be. It will prepare you for heaven itself. Amidst the carnage of the Vietnam War, there was a young idealistic patriot, an officer, His desire was to change his world. He volunteered for combat in the jungles of Vietnam. He wanted to see the world changed. And he had a lesson coming. For he learned that ultimately it was not to be through the pointing of bayonets at anyone's heart, but only by hearts becoming changed that the world would be changed. Changed hearts, changed lives, changed communities. That young man learned that truth in that cauldron. But he learned that there's only one person who can do that, who can change the heart and change the life and change the community. There's only one way he's appointed that it be accomplished, and that is by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming of his Spirit on those whom he has chosen from before the foundation of the earth. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right there in Eden, at the, at moments, I presume, after uh, the sin had entered the world by our first parents' rebellion against God, God gives a promise in his judgment on the serpent. Genesis 3, he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And the whole of the scripture is the playing out of that story. God's redemptive love story of his people as he comes down through history to embrace, to love, to redeem at great cost. And to ultimately perfect and bring us home, so Isaiah chapter eleven verses one and two, we read: "A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse; from his roots, a branch, a branch will bear fruit." The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And then skip down to verse 9. It's in the context of that king and his return that the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But how, you ask, could he be the child of David? David. Well, we read in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, these words, which are quoted in the New Testament. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, the hometown of David the king, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for, uh, for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. How can the coming king? be born in Bethlehem and yet be from Galilee. <laughs> God took care of that, didn't he? Through the evil kings like Herod and later on Caesar the emperor decree before that. Caesar the emperor Augustus sends out a decree and, and so people are required to go to their uh, their birth town, that is to say, the the location from which their clan is derived and Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem and Mary gave birth there and then they fled to Egypt after they were warned of what Herod would do and after Herod's death they come back and they settle where? <laughs> in Galilee, in a little sprout town, a branch, a nazar called Nazareth. And he shall be called a Nazarene. Not Nazarite, long hair, you know. And you, No, no, Nazarene. Jesus fulfills the prophecy. Jesus is the one and only Son of God. And he can say to Nicodemus in that little upper room, John chapter 3 is Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, Israel's teacher, if you will, their ideologist for the Pharisees, at least in the Sanhedrin. And he comes by night and Jesus says to him, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in him should have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth in the Son has everlasting life, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he's not believed in the only begotten Son of God. So the question as we come to the table of our Lord this morning is, how is it with you? How is it with your soul? Are you trusting in this one who came, God with us, Emmanuel? Our text has spoken to us of need and cure and way, but not just a way, but the way. Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You see, the child of prophecy is God with us. Come to save us from sin and despair and to give us hope and new life in him. Let's pray.